If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. This is Autoline After Hours with John McElroy and Gary Vasilash, episode 527 for October 1st of 2020, Simon Spruill. Automotive man of intrigue. Watch Autoline After Hours live at Autoline.tv every Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time. That's 12 p.m. Pacific. You can subscribe to this podcast for free by searching for Autoline in iTunes, Stitcher, or YouTube. Autoline After Hours is brought to you by Bridgestone Tires. Your journey, our passion. And by Borg Warner, propulsion solutions that support a clean, energy-efficient world. Mr. V, how you doing out there? I'm doing good, John. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. It's been a, a rough week for me. I was a little bit under the weather earlier on. Nothing COVID-related, thank goodness. But I'd say I'm 99.99% recovered right now. So I'm, that's about as good as I'm going to get. Back on track. Yeah. All right, so so today in 1908, arguably one of the most significant days in history, and I Ooh, bet I you might, know what it is. I might know this. I, I bet might. you know what it is. Well, you know, if you say 1908, I believe that was the year that the Model T debuted. And it was All today. Right. And it was today. Yes. Wow. So it, it came out and it cost $850, which was inexpensive back then. There we go. Katie put up the picture. And yet it was $30 more than the average wage at the time. And and it, it, so um, people had to stretch a little bit. And they made 15 million of the Model T and it went out of production on May 26th, 1927. So in the event we have a show on May 26th, you might want to keep that in mind because then that might be the question for that day. <laughs> so be that as it may. Okay. I got one more okay. thing to ask you before we start the show officially. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. you are a judge for the North American car of the year awards as, right. as am I um, you this week, the semifinalists were announced. Um, right. Anything strike you as surprising or, or different? Well, you know, we, we had to whittle down the list. You know, we start with the, the long list and we shorten that down to the short list or shorter. And it's amazing how many really good vehicles we had to broom out of the way to whittle the list down. Mm-hmm. In fact, as you know, Gary, there's a, a little bit of controversy because the, the new Toyota Sienna minivan did not make the finalist list. And, uh, you know, I, I can't. Uh, recall a year where so many good vehicles just didn't make the cut because the competition is just that tight right now. Right. Yeah. The thing that that struck me as, as being good and surprising, particularly good for consumers is the fact that on the list are some cars that are not all that expensive, like a, a Sentra, let's say. And, you know, there are cars that, that, 
you know, go much higher in terms of, of price point, such as a Mercedes or a Cadillac. And it's the same thing on the, on the uh, utility side where, you know, you can have a, a Kia Seltos on one end and the Cadillac Escalade on the other end. And so there are good products for people out there in the market. So I thought that was very interesting and uh, encouraging to see. Yeah, no, that's a great point. There, there's almost a hundred thousand dollars spread between the low end and the high end. There, indeed, there is. Hey, we got to let everybody know we've got Joseph White from Reuters joining us back on the show again. Hello, Joe. Hey, John. Hey, Gary. Hey, good to be here. Great to Thanks. have you on the show. We're good to and- be somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> Where are you? You're at home, obviously. I'm at, I'm at, I'm at home. I'm at home. Okay, and then. We've got to bring in our special guest to, for the day, and he's back again by popular demand, demand by me and Gary Vasilash, at least, Simon Spruels. Bring him up. There Hi. he is. Hi, guys. Hello, Simon. Hi, Luke. Good to have you here. Likewise. Good to be back on. Last time I was uh, in the studio, right? We had a, That's right. a, a, a DB11 uh, there, and I was uh, suited and all tied up and that sort of stuff, talking about Aston Martin. That's right. Hey, Aston just had a pretty good 24 hours of Le Mans. They did. Ironic, I wasn't there, right? Uh, so <laughs> <laughs> That's all it took. It's like, I'm going to say, all it took is me not to be there. Um, yeah, and I was there five years in a row, and then the year they won. Um, it's great. I mean, the, the, the guys put their heart and soul into it. Um, the team have been working towards that for so long. Um, I think for any car company, racing you know, is so important, oh, particularly a company like Aston Martin. And Le Mans is part of the folklore of the company. You go back to the 59 victory, which is still to this day the company celebrates, still is part of the defining characteristic of the brand. So for them to come back and sweep uh, the, uh, the board at Le Mans in the, uh, in, in the GT class and ahead of Porsche and Ferrari, I think was, 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 was great. And, and I think probably all more sweeter given you know, Aston's had, a, had a, a little bit of a bumpy uh, few months. So it was great. It was great to see the, the guys having, uh, having something to celebrate like that. So, Simon, catch us up on where you're at right now. What are you doing? You're no longer with Aston. And so what's, what's the next act here? Yeah, what did you call me? A man of intrigue or something. Um, <laughs> and I'll explain why in a second, but go ahead and answer Gary's question. Um, yeah, sure. So I've, uh, I've joined a tech company uh, called TopTel that's uh, a specialist in, in talent on demand. So kind of interesting, it's, uh, the world's largest fully remote company. So it's a company that was founded 10 years ago and has no headquarters, um, fully remote workforce and has a talent network of uh, about 10,000 people that, that, that are available sort of on demand for companies uh, to go in, particularly in the developer space and, and uh, into uh, in, in tech spaces. And then um, in addition to that, I'm, um, I'm helping out Henrik as an advisor to Fisker. So I've, I've still kept a, a foot in the door and, and I've got a couple of other advisory roles in play. And then finally, uh, if that wasn't enough, um, I'm actually going into business and doing a startup, which I hopefully will be able to tell you about in a few months, but we're just getting going in a startup. So after 30 plus years of working for corporations, I'm finally going to make, take the plunge and, and do something myself as well. So yeah, quite a, quite a few things. It's uh, I think 2020 has given an opportunity for a lot of people to do something different with their lives and, and, and experiment with different things. And that's certainly what I've done. And it's, it's great. Really enjoying it. And, and Simon, let me explain why I introduced you as the automotive man of intrigue. I wasn't going to say mystery, which one might expect, but let I, I got to go off the top of my head here. So you worked at Ford, you worked at Jaguar Land Rover, you worked at Nissan, you worked at Tesla, you worked at Aston Martin. 
Am I missing any there? Just briefly at FCA before the uh, and FCA the as well, right? Uh, and the pan- yeah, that was the, the pandemic put. Uh, I, I, you know, I don't know anybody around. else in the industry who has worked at so many different car companies, and I find that intriguing. Hence, the automotive man of intrigue. I think. Well, you know, I've been at it over thirty years now. So that's what you kind of forget. And actually, when you look at sort of, I spent about 10 years at Ford Motor Company, including time at JLR, and about 10 years at, 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 at Nissan, and then about what, five or six years at Aston. So there were sort of some, some big blocks within those. I was able to obviously work on different brands, and, and I was lucky enough to you know, work in Dearborn for Ford, um, as well as back in Europe. I was lucky to go to Japan to, to work for Nissan and to Paris uh, with the alliance, um, and then of course back to the home country to uh, to work on Aston. So yeah, I've been I've been really lucky, and I've I've had some obviously some fascinating bosses along the way. This is what a lot of people often ask me, and I I was saying to to Henrik the other day, you know, one of my bosses is a billionaire, the other one is uh, <laughs> the other one escaped Japan, uh, is now living in Lebanon, and and then and then Andy's uh, you know in the process of uh, reinventing him, his career again. So. Uh, it's uh, take take your pick, but um, I've been really lucky. I've worked for, for an industry. I think we're all in it because we love it, and I've had a ringside seat to some of the, you know, some of the big dramas and some of the big personalities of the industry. And I wouldn't, you know, I've, I'm so lucky. I've been able to, to do that for the last thirty years. So so let's like walk through some of this. I mean, so so the Ford years. I mean, w- what um, do you think about related to your time there? I mean, what were the things that stand out? Well, I, I've still got a pension with Ford of Britain, actually. That was so. I'm going to be really nice about them. So, uh, <laughs> exactly, uh, not a huge one, but but I was on the pension scheme when I was when I was at the company. Uh, you know, I, I joined in the early '90s when uh, I was in Ford of Britain, and at that point, Ford was dominant. Ford was the actually had taken over from British Leyland as the British motor industry, and that was when Ford was building cars in Dagenham, which of course was a, a modelled off the Rouge plant. It was building, uh, you know, escorts up in Halewood in Liverpool, uh, and so on and so forth. And, and and Ford of Europe and Ford of Britain particularly was were some of the most profitable markets for Ford Motor Company um, in the eighties and the nineties. You know, commercial vehicles, the Transit, which I know that you know, Jim Farley, because you know his time in Ford of Europe, and he's obviously talked very highly of of, of that segment of vehicles for Ford. So I was uh, I was incredibly lucky to be at Ford at that time. I came in as the Sierra was going out and the Mondeo was coming in. And the Mondeo, if you remember, was Ford's first world car, you know, the famed world car and, and the Contour and the Mystique, if you remember those. Sure. Um, and, and that was the, you know, the CDW27 program, I still remember the code names. So it was super interesting to see Ford go through that evolution. I was lucky enough to be alongside Richard Parry Jones, um, who was, I think, one of those outstanding automotive engineers. Um, you know, he... He was the chief program engineer on the Mondeo, if you remember, and, and the success of that car and the life that he breathed into Ford in terms of ride and handling and dynamics being super important to the Ford brand, particularly in Europe, and then translating that overseas. So, you know, it, it's, it, it's very cool to sort of see one engineer have that profound effect on an entire company and shift the, the sort of weight of focus onto chassis and dynamics being, being really important for customer satisfaction. So, um and then on to some time in Dearborn. I, I went through Ford 2000 as well. So, Joe, you, well, you guys probably remember reporting on this. You know, that was Alex Trotman uh, and his big play to, to globalize Ford Motor Company and to create these vehicle centers. And I went into working in the truck vehicle center um, right at the time when 
yeah, the expedition was was out. The Navigator had just come out. These were very highly profitable vehicles for the excursion, if you remember that, which was a, a, an SUV even bigger than the expedition. Um, and that was that attracted Joe, particularly you'll remember some of the uh, the interesting yeah. comments about the uh, growth in the SUV market. Yes, um, <laughs> many of which are being repeated almost verbatim today. Right, right, right. So, so you know, the truck. I mean, the truck market was was, was so and is still so important to 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 the what we might call the big three. Um, so again, coming from Europe, and what was super interesting about that time, this is just going into to two thousand uh, and two thousand one, is that they moved the, the the program development for the transit van moved from Europe to to Detroit. So if you remember, you saw lots of transits running around the, the streets of Dearborn, really way ahead of its time. You know, Ford was 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 had put this Eurovan into into engineering in, in the uh, in into Dearborn. So that was kind of interesting to see that develop as well. So Simon, it's interesting because you have you've you've you're the rare person who's worked both at large, very large, very global companies, and also uh, small companies. I mean, Tesla when it was small, and Aston Martin, which is obviously a sort of a different thing altogether from a company like Ford. Um, I'm just sort of wondering, as you look ahead, you know, uh, what what is it going to take for these for the large companies that used to pretty much dominate just because they were large? To, to, to make their way when when it doesn't seem like the investor community is all that enamored of them anymore. We're, we're in a really interesting time because, I mean, and I'm seeing this in my you know, advisory work with, with Fisker, is that, that you, you would, conventional wisdom has it that we've got too many car brands, we've got too much capacity, and therefore the industry now you know, needs to consolidate and we need to lose brands and so on and so forth. But we saw in China, what, five or so years ago, an absolute explosion of, of EV brands. And now we're seeing the same... I think in North America and, and Europe, obviously, with with a number of, of startup EV brands, and oddly, I think it's never been say easy. easy. Making cars is really difficult, and I think mm. that's what everyone finds out when they go into it. But actually, the barriers to entry now to go in and create a car brand, oddly, have never been have never been lower. I mean, and everyone's taking a different approach. You know, you're seeing Nikola's approach. You're seeing obviously what Tesla have done. You know, Henrik and what 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 Fisker Inc is doing is uh, another approach, which is more like coach building, where you're taking you know, platforms and you're working with partners, to, you're working with people to, to make the car for you, but you're providing unique IP through design and, and software and, and, and service. So it's, you know, you're right, the market does not reward the big players, but but the inevitability of our industry is, is that consult, more consolidation is going to be necessary. The question is then is is which bits of the industry are carved out to make way for these, these new EV players. So um, it's watch this space, right? Yeah, no, it definitely seems that way. It definitely seems that way. Um, you can start a brand, you know, you can start a, a brand and, and be taken seriously now in a way that I, th- and I do think Tesla has something to do with that, right? Uh, I mean, I, I, I think so. Yeah, and I think the fact that EVs are, are nothing simple in our business, right? But 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 the the motor inverter, battery pack, and the way that's evolving, I, I think is is enabling a lot of people to do, you know, take platforms and do vehicles on top of them. I mean, yeah, the, this interest is fascinating. I mean, I remember. 10 or so years ago, there was a rash of new sports car companies that started up. Then about five years ago, there was a rash of hypercar companies. So, you know, I mean, I can remember working on the Valkyrie program in Aston, and we were like, well, you know, wondering, will anyone buy a car over a million dollars? Well, actually, the end price ended up nearly $3 million, and we were sold out. So, and you know, you've seen a number of, you know, Gordon Murray's come back with a T50, which is a, a multi-million dollar car. Um, so this industry is really so interesting because it, it just constantly reinvents itself and there's all the, the, the you know the, there are trends and waves and you know the 
Darwinianism really works in this industry and that the fittest survive and the ones with the greatest idea and the greatest products will prevail and then others will will wither and die. So it's uh, yeah, it's still 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 a very active business. Does scale matter? I think scale does matter. I mean, I think in and and I think it's the the only way for you know, look, um, bu- buying ten widgets is going to be a lot more expensive than buying a hundred widgets. Um, and so, yes, inevitably, scale does matter. Um, and but but probably what's more important is brand. You know, is 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 great product and a strong brand because ultimately that's what the consumer. That's yeah. When have you ever seen a great product that we all? You know, you 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 guys drive cars all the time. You evaluate cars all the time. You instinctively know when you get in a car, this is a winner. This is right. It's priced right. It looks right. The features are right. And nine times out of ten, it'll it'll work in the market. So, I still hold that great product, great product planning, and so forth is, is super important. But then, if you look at yes, delivered cost uh, essential to, to to make a margin in our business, uh, absolutely absolutely essential. Simon, when you look around the world right now, most markets are mature. Certainly, the Americas, Europe, Japan, Korea, China still growing, but there isn't a whole lot of room for growth in terms of the units. There's going to be winners and losers within there, but there is tremendous potential for growth when it comes to selling services, monetizing data, offering up over the air updates and, and charging for that. Now we're seeing a battle between the traditional automakers and the tech industry. Forget the startups for the, the moment, but the tech industry. How do you think that's going to resolve itself? Are the traditionalists going to lose that new future potential growth to the tech industries who, I mean, that, that's their playground? Well, I, there's, a few, there's a few things to think about there, right? I mean, a ten, ten, five, ten years ago, there was a big sort of Silicon Valley meets Detroit moment, right? When, when every, all the tech companies thought, actually, let's, let's get into car making. That's a really good idea. And then they quickly found out that it's really painful and really costly and really difficult to get right. And that didn't quite work out. And so, so then it was much more about, well, let's do technology to support automotive. And whether you believe that we're all going to end up in autonomous pods in the future, which maybe in 50 years we will, um, in between now and that time, there is still, I think, a, a market that, that's up for grabs. There's a market, a mature market that's up for grabs just in segments alone. You know, look at the rise of crossovers uh, that, that, that took over from the rise of, of SUVs and, and so on and so forth. So within the mature markets, they're not stable. They are moving. Electrification, you know, the, 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 the forecast rise for electric vehicles in mature markets is going to be quite profound. Well, are people going to be driving different form factors as EVs as they, as, as, uh, versus what they were driving today? You know, is the sedan going to go away? We've all talked about the, the demise of the state, so and so, on and so forth. Are wagons going to eventually going to go away? Or are they only going to be a thing in Europe? So I still think there is um, opportunities for, for smart automakers to make money in segments as the mature markets evolve. And, of course, people have got to figure out how to make money out of electric cars. Now, when you talk about automotive or mobility as a service, absolutely. I think this is going to be another a huge battleground, and it's going to depend on a lot of environmental factors such as mass migration of people into cities, um, the, the change in how cities are managing mobility, um, last kilometer EV delivery, and, and so on and so forth. So there's a lot of legislative issues that are going to come into play. Um, what's going to be quite interesting is, is, has the pandemic slowed down the rush into cities? Or has that put a kind of thought in people's head to say, mm, actually, you know, I'm going to stick in the suburbs for a while, 
I don't want to be in the city. Well, so yeah, yeah, Simon, you're raising. I mean, you're raising a point. I'm th- I'm trying to think about a lot because I think yes. I mean, that seems like a really important question to figure out is whether the you know this sort of the idea the, of you know, the pre-pandemic idea that everyone was going or everyone was going to be urban and therefore amenable to shared transportation. Um, you know, boy, I wonder. I mean, I, I mean, I don't know if you can put this hat on, but your hat, uh, the the top towel hat, you know, the the the, the distributed services company hat. That's kind of what they're about. I'm betting, isn't it? That the sort of tapping into people who are living wherever they want to live. Absolutely. I mean, I think uh, you know the fact that you know I'm sitting in a friend's kitchen and doing this, and and I can then you know, I mean, we can now work. We've now proved that we can work remotely and work from 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 anywhere. And in fact, what's interesting about the the top towel network of of talent is that this, we've got people in our network that fly aid missions in Brazil and then are programmers uh, through the top tail talent. So, so the whole freelance economy has enabled people to do very different things with their lives. It's a, and it's enabled a lot of people to live, you know, sort of two lives in one, you know, they can pursue their passion or their interest or something, you know, whether they want to be a teacher or whatever they want to be. And they can also then, you know, pay the bills through working for a, for a freelance company like TopTal. So yeah, you're absolutely right. And and of course, freelance talent and remote talent inherently doesn't commute. So you know, oh, not in the conventional I, way. Sure, not in, yeah. well, not in conventional. And and, yeah. and what's really interesting is is that that it, it's it's borderless, right? So as long as you've got access to to high speed broadband, and you know you've got the requirements that 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 the client needs for. The talent job you can be in Brunei or Botswana or Belgium it doesn't matter and you could be working for a Fortune 50 company so we're talking here about quite a quite an interesting twist on on the labor market as well and on and on mobility you don't need visas if you've got high speed uh, internet and and the company that's hiring you is happy to for you to be remote Hey, we've got to take a quick commercial break right now. We'll be back in just a moment to talk more automotive with Simon Spruill, automotive man of intrigue. But first, a shout out to our good friends at Borg Warner. The world is changing at an ever-increasing pace. No matter what the mode of transportation, there is always the need for an efficient propulsion system. And that's exactly what Borg Warner has been doing since the earliest days of the automotive industry. We create innovative mobility technologies that reduce energy consumption and emissions while improving performance. Our proven track record has made us an industry leader in forward-looking propulsion solutions for combustion, hybrid, and electric vehicles. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. 
Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Hey, before we get going again, I, I just ran to the inflation calculator. So going back to your 1908 Ford Model T, Gary, at $850, unfortunately, the, the inflation calculator only goes back to 1913, not 1908. But in 1913 dollars, that would be $22,300. So let's round it off, you know, because if it was 1908, probably around $23,000 is what a Model T would cost in today's money. Still cheap. Well, I mean, yeah, I know, but right, average car is what thirty-five, something like that. I, I know, 35? but look at the equipment you get on today's cars. Well, there's that. Yes, <laughs> yeah, but but John, the thing is, is that today's cars are built on yesterday's cars. The Model T was basically built on nothing. Therefore, you're like have this profound technological novelty that just costs that amount of money. It's astonishing. Yeah, it is. A but speaking of which, so so Simon, you know, you, you were saying that, you know, you, you started your career at Ford in the UK and, you know, John was talking about, you know, the, the monetization of, of data in vehicles and then the notion of mobility as a service came up. And, you know, it occurs to me that Ford in the UK as, as well as many other companies um, are becoming shadows of their former selves in terms of making things. And in order to have vehicles that get monetization or vehicles that are part of a service, um, somebody's got to make them. So, I mean, where do you see that? I mean, do you, do you think that the footprints that that car manufacturers have been producing, building throughout the 20th century and, and now on into the 21st century are going to be important? Or is that going to change as well? Well, I think you, you, you've still got to have assemblers, haven't you? Now, you know, is it, is it going to be the rise of companies like Magna that are working um, as contract assemblers for, for brands? And, and Magna, you know, comes to mind, obviously, um, as, as one of the best in the, in the business of this. Um, or is it going to be, you know, uh, manuf- more manufacturers getting together and producing cars for each other? I mean, we've, we've still got structural overcapacity in the industry. Um, I, I don't know what the pandemic has done to the forecast, but when I last looked, we were on track, what, for a 90, 100 million a year industry, Joe. I think it was about that, wasn't it? And some of the forecasts were were mid next decade, mid this decade, we're going to go up towards 110, 120 million. Um, so you know there, there is there's there's more there's more capacity at the moment than there is there is there is demand. So inevitably, car manufacturing is going to have to adjust to to that, and it's also going to have to adjust to building different things as well. Now you can still put an electric car down a production line same as you can a gassing car, but you've got other other factors to consider now, which is you might not have so many engine factories, but you're going to have to build battery factories. So, you know, the value chain uh, differs quite considerably because you've got a lot of people moving into the value chain in the auto industry, batteries being one obvious example, that perhaps were not existing automotive suppliers. So I think that's going to be, that's going to be very interesting. But you've also seen, I mean, if you take, if you take, you know, Ford uh, as a company I know and love, you know, it, it shifted its manufacturing in, in the UK and Europe in, in response to the change in the market. You know, that period in the 90s saw all of the mass brands, whether you were Renault, whether you were Nissan, whether you were Vauxhall or Opel, lose out to the premium brands. You know, I can remember the sad day when the Ford Scorpio died. You know, I, I, I did... I was involved in the press launch of the of, of that car 
the one that, that had the sort of more controversial front end. That was a great car. Had a 24 valve Cosworth V6 in it. It was a, yeah, it was a, it was an absolute spanking product. Um, and um, but it, the customer would rather have had for the same money a BMW 3 Series or a Mercedes 190. So yeah, you saw the rise. You know, production rises. BMW, Mercedes, Audi opening more and more factories. Porsche. You imagine Porsche builds what over 250 thousand cars a year at the moment. Yeah. So that's got to come out of somebody's hide, right? So, yeah, you're still seeing these interesting shifts in, in what consumers want, and that affects what manufacturers can build. It's interesting, too. To, I mean, again, Simon, I mean, it's interesting, too, to see the sort of the, the debate that's going on right now in the industry about what to make and what to buy. Um, you know, Tesla seems to, I mean, Elon Musk, every time he, every time I turn around, he's doing some Henry Ford-ish thing. You know, he's saying we need to make the cars cheaper. I need to make the batteries cheaper so I can make the car more affordable. Um, on the other hand, I mean, there's companies, and, and I guess Fisker is probably one, which seem to be much more about, look, we're, we're providing, you know, the design and the IP, but we're not hung up on being the manufacturer. And, and you know, that's, you know, we're, we want to partner with someone for that. Um, and it does seem like there's at least two, if not more than two uh, paths that companies are, are exploring to sort of get to the future on, on, you know, going forward. Yeah. I, th- I think that, I think it's fascinating. I mean, uh, the, the, again, you, you, you've seen the rise of the consolidation of the tier one auto suppliers as well, which is also enabling this to happen because the, 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 the big, um, auto suppliers are doing more systems now, so someone you know like Henrik can 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 go to to tier one suppliers and buy chunks of things that the customer doesn't see, and then design a beautiful car, a beautiful interior around that. Do unique software. The, the other part of it, Joe, is is the is the leasing or ownership model, which I think is another thing. So, yeah, and I know you've debated this a lot on this show about people are still going to want their own car, and I think. There is still going to be demand for people to have their own car, to put their own stuff in it. We're not all going to go mobility on, on demand. And the lease model, so you know, uh, the, what, what, what Henrik's doing with the fiscal lease model is, is enabling a completely flexible lease. So often what research has shown is that customers actually want to get out of a lease after about 24 months. They want, to, they want something fresh. They want something new. But most leases today, economically constructed, are based – typically around, what, 36 months, 48 months. I know yeah. the lease terms have gone up and tend to go up in recessionary times, right, even to 72 months with uh, incredible finance terms. But what, what, what Henrik's going to pioneer is, is a flexible lease model that after two months, if, you, if, you, if your circumstances change, you, you, you give back the car. And then the company will take back the car, recondition it, and then release it out. And we're going to manage the, the eight-year life cycle of the product completely within the company, which is a, again another model that's not really been tried before. You have you have certified pre-owned programs, which a lot of automakers do, which is very good for residual values because you control what's going through the auctions and the quality that's going to the dealers. But actually, the car company taking the car back and owning the reconditioning and then leasing it out under its its brand is is something I think quite interesting and quite different. You so, get, so they get more bites at the apple instead of just absolutely. One. I mean, on a, on an eight year life cycle for a product, I mean that's that's yeah. what four or five potential owners. Um, yeah, somebody some, somebody told the auto companies about continuing revenue past the sale, and they've and they haven't forgotten it apparently. <laughs> absolutely, yeah. But but what does the car go back out the second time as? Well, it would go out as a used car clearly, but it would go out uh, at a lower lease price because it's got miles on it and it's it's not a new car. But of course, you know, if you're if you're talking about trying to get into different sectors of the market, you know, a six-year-old but beautifully reconditioned car um, is a very accessible product for a lot of people. So if they can't get into a new car at three sixty-nine a month 
for the ocean starting price. I've got that drilled into my head. Um, ever the salesman. Um, you know, they, that price is going to be obviously less if the car is six years old. But that's a great value proposition for somebody who wants a, you know, a reliable uh, electric car that's been is owned by the manufacturer and is, is delivered by the manufacturer under its, 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 its warranty system. Of course, a key reason that you're going to be, have to be able to do that is to have stores or facilities that people can bring that back to. Uh, I, I can't imagine that you're going to want reconditioning facilities all over the place. How, what are the plans at Fisker to handle all that? Well, I'm um, clear it's going to be a partnership approach. So we're still working on, on those on those partners, but both for servicing and then for reconditioning would be, would be again, I mean, you know, Henrik's building an asset-like company. You know, and he's doing it um, more radically than I've I've seen any other company uh, do it before because he's recognizing what what he wants to matter to the customer, which is the design and the experience, and then he's letting people who've got expertise and experience in building things, platform engineering, servicing to to, to take on those tasks. I well, and capacity. And capacity, and, right? To, to and, and capacity. Point. They have right, the capacity right. whether they like it or not. So they're Yeah. That's, I mean Henrik Henrik doesn't have to go and put a shovel in the ground in the desert and, and say, Hey, Tada, there's a new factory building test. <laughs> I don't I know mean, any company that would do something like that. <laughs> Imagine that. <laughs> so so he's you know, he's he's gonna work we're gonna work with 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 a with a contract manufacturer or manufacturer OEM to help us build the cars and, and the ocean is the first of several products. So we've got the flexibility to to work with different partners as the segment uh, dictates. That's fascinating. I hadn't heard that part of the company that is of bringing cars back, reconditioning and mm. releasing them as as used vehicles and doing it over an eight year cycle. Uh, yeah. I, I can see that penciling out quite well, provided you're able to handle all the logistics of it. That's right, and, and clearly, you know, scaling the company is going to be key to do that. But I look; it's it's one of the, yeah. You, you called me a veteran, I think, uh, earlier. As the industry, thirty years. You know, you've, I've seen a lot of car companies come and go and, and work for for a lot. And, and this, you know, part of the reason when Henrik was talking to me about about coming on as advisor, it's just a very interesting, different business model. And I was I was fascinated to to, to, to sort of join forces with them and see if see if we can make a, make it work. So uh, I think the ingredients are in place. It's it's uh, very promising. So you you had your stint at Nissan. So you you go from from Ford, you know, a Anglo-American company, I guess in your context it would be to a a Japanese company which then partners with a French company. Um I mean, what is the dynamic at a company like Nissan? I mean, how you know, right now we're hearing a lot about, you know, they're they're struggling in this market. Um they're struggling pretty much around the world. Um you know, what's your sense of that organization? I, I think the alliance is, I mean, you know, it was founded originally by, it was Louis Schweitzer and Hanawa-san, right? I mean, it was Hanawa-san uh, and Nissan who, after several failed attempts at trying to partner with Mercedes and others, and Joe, you, you remember this, I think, very well. Um, you know, uh, it was Louis Schweitzer that, that, that did the deal. And then, you know, uh, I will always say Mr. Gohn. Mr. Gohn was was put in as, as, as the chief operating officer and CEO into, into Nissan to make that part of it work. And, you know, that was a bold move at the time. And, and the, the auto industry has, as we know, has, a, has, a, has not a great track record of car companies working together. You know, there are more divorces than there are uh, successful long, long-term marriages. And again, you know, I think having a ringside seat in that and seeing the alliance evolve. So, you know, I, I, I saw through the period where Mr. Gohn took over 
joint CEO, so became CEO of Renault as well as CEO of Nissan, and the, you know, the two briefcases and, and, and that sort of thing. And um, you know, the, the principle of, of encouraging two people, two companies to work together f- for greater good, for greater synergies, I think is, is, a, is a very interesting principle because you know, it was always uh, the, the, the tenant was it's not a takeover. It's, it's two companies working together and then they added the Tsubishi and so on and so forth. So I still think the experiment is, is playing itself out. Um, now, look, they've hit a, they've hit a, a rough patch, right? Um, we're all, we've all been in this industry long enough to know that, every, what do they call it in Detroit? Everyone has their turn in the barrel? Yeah. I mean, you know, literally everybody. I mean, name me a car company that hasn't been through a, a, a tough time <laughs> and comes out of it, you know, I mean... What's well, it's, it's, it's about it's about it's about every decade plus or minus, right? I mean, you come to the, exactly end of the product cycle, and 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 then the organization kind of atrophies, and boom, there you go, face down. And there's the phoenix-like renewal, the 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 vows never again. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, you know, a couple of bad products or a couple of good products, and yeah. and you know, it can it can really turn your fortunes. And you know, every car company has got hit with scandals and so on and so forth, and that'll derail them, and then they'll get back on track and. Management, so it's it's a fascinating period, and I I think there is such a lot of inherent strength, and so many smart people at Nissan and Renault and at Mitsubishi that they will prevail. Um, you know, I I don't know if too big to fail is is legitimate anymore in an industry because we saw what happened to, to General Motors and others. So, um, but I do think um, within you know, Renault and Nissan, um, the, there is there is a lot of there's a great reserve of talent there, and I think a couple of good products and get back get their mojo back and. Yeah, there'll be there'll be a, a really interesting turnaround story. Yeah, I mean it's gonna be I mean it's gonna be interesting to watch um, Renault, Nissan, and FCA Peugeot because uh, the FCA Peugeot, and again, I know you probably know a great deal more about this than any of us, but uh, it, FCA Peugeot seems to be a, a bet that a full-on merger can be made to, uh, at that scale. At that scale, can be made to work in this industry, notwithstanding the you know, the, the Daimler Chrysler example and several others is besides, I just want I'm interested in your thoughts on that. If you, if you're, if you can have them in public. Yeah. I was going to say, I have to be very carefully guarded here and, and I need to reserve something for the book that I'm hoping to write. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Very well. <laughs> about, about, about all this. Uh, you know. um, look, I, I think um, uh, let's, 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 I think point to management because management ultimately is what makes any company. And if you look at the, the people that are on both the FCA side and the PS side. So you've, you've got a really outstanding management suite. Um, you know, I know obviously Carlos Tavares from my time at, at, at Nissan, and he's an outstanding executive, as is Mike Manley and, and the team at, at, at FCA. And they, you know, what I witnessed was a, was a tremendous mindset and uh, willingness to, to make this work. So, you know, obviously now the devil's in the detail and they've got to, to, to bring it off. But I think the ingredients are there and the people are there that I've got uh, deep experience in the industry and have seen what works and what doesn't work. And I think that now, um, you know, we've, we've had what 20 or 30 years of, of mergers and demergers. And so now we're, we've, we've hopefully got enough accumulated industry knowledge to know what t- does work and what doesn't work. We hope. Well, then let's ask you about Tesla and Elon Musk. He set a goal for the company to be a 20 million unit a year company by 2030. Um, is this, you know, part of his razzmatazz selling of what could be, or do you think he can pull this off or not? You know, it's very hard to say, to predict anything, isn't it, in this industry and particularly with Tesla. So uh, I've I've nothing but admiration for what they've done. You know, I mean, you know, I, I heard the stories of, you know, and I 
witnessed a little bit of it when Elon went knocking on lots of OEM doors to get support way back in the Rosa days, and it's well documented. He got turned down many times, and yet look at the company now. You know, arguably one of the most famous, if not the most famous car brand in the world, you know, and with zero advertising. Now, you can debate the controversies and the way he's done it and so so forth. Um, but, but the fact remains is that, and particularly, you know, I see this acutely sitting here in Southern California, there they're, they're Model 3s, Model Y, Model S everywhere. This is no longer uh, a science experiment. This is mainstream, everyday motoring for thousands and thousands of people. So, you know, I would not bet again. Now, taking 20 million in the global car market, okay, you know, I mean, Toyota, GM, I mean, there's a lot of companies that would aspire to that same goal, right? So that's a, that's a very big chunk of, of, of the car market. But I, I certainly wouldn't uh, bet against a continued increase in, in Tesla because you just see it. And, and people love the, love the products. Uh, you know, the, the company is giving the customer what they want. So, end, of, end, of, end of story, really, isn't it? I mean, yeah. Yeah. So, so, so let's talk about the, 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 the importance of brand. So it almost seems that um, just as once upon a time, if somebody said hybrid, they thought Prius, Prius owned that. And now if you're talking about an electric vehicle, it's, it's Tesla and then there's everyone else. So, I mean, to what extent do the traditional companies have to battle to get you know, share of mind among consumers in terms of their vehicles being sufficiently technological as a Tesla is? Can, I mean, can it be done? That's a very good question. And, and you know, you, the, the, the sound of banging you can hear is, is CMOs all over the world in car companies, you know, just so frustrated that they've invested billions in advanced technology and they can't get a break with the consumer. And, and that, you know, you, you did the, the, the sort of the word match, right? You say hybrid, you think Toyota. Uh, you say EV, you, say, you think Tesla. It's that sort of Pavlovian. Uh, you know, so, so yeah, how do, how do you break through? And, and, and you see that all the big brands are investing in, in multiple technologies. You've just seen the launch of the Volkswagen ID4, I think, isn't it? That's Four. just, that's just yeah. Kind of, yeah, it's a very handsome vehicle. I mean, I think it's a, a really well-executed product. Are people now going to think, when they think of the Volkswagen brand, are they now going to think of electric? I think they're going to start to move their brand towards that space. Um, but again, it, it, you know, it happens over quite a period of time to change that consumer perception, right? Because if you still, you know, if you think of a, of a car brand, think of the first product that comes to mind. For many consumers, that 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 image is is uh, you know, can be quite dated. So um, I think it is, you know, as the, as the industry moves towards electrification, not everybody can be associated with electrification because that's just going to be the industry norm. So it's it's then what's next? I mean, who's associated with autonomy right now? Well, you'd have to say actually Tesla. Yeah, is there any other company, any other car company in the world that's yeah. got autonomy as an instant? Oh, there, these are the autonomous yeah. guys. Not really. No. But even Tesla doesn't really have autonomy, right? I mean, they, I mean, right now they don't. Well, it depends on what you define as your levels, Joe, and uh, what the legislators think. So I'm well, gonna, yeah, uh, I'm going well, to be careful okay. about what I say about different different autonomy levels and yeah. Uh, well, at any rate, I mean, I know, I know that, I know that. I got a lot of cameras going Tesla on. Has, Tesla has definitely taken on that taken on that you know that that word and tesla are definitely associated in ways that other brand that it's not with other brands so that's certainly true um it's going to be interesting i i wonder i mean i sort of feel like just and partly from just absorbing all sorts of different announcements about um you know within the last few months um, of some major uh legacy car makers saying we're going to have a million evs by 2025 or however many it does seem to me that over the next 
one to five years that the real test of whether Tesla um, can kind of remain, you know, sort of at the top of the mountain with everybody else still down in the, you know, below the tree line, the way they are right now on this, because, you know, Volkswagen, GM, Hyundai, Toyota, all the, all of them are promising huge volumes of electric vehicles and all sorts of different body styles and all that. Um, I don't know if you see it the same way, but it seems like this is, this is kind of a moment that's going to define how the market, that market looks over the next several years. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And, and I think it's, it's, it, what's, what's super interesting is what we consider to be brand differentiators, powertrain being one of them, are arguably going to be, or are going to change, right? People are going to go over to rain. I mean, you don't buy, a, you buy, buy cars on gas mileage but, but, but to an extent, but I'm not sure you buy, you know, the, the notion of, of range and of carrying a lot of range in a car, I think is something that's, that, that, that hasn't played out as a brand attribute. Um, and I think there's also never been a point in time where the industry is so reliant on infrastructure to make uh, to, or to realize its ambitions. You know, I mean, when, when was the last time? Perhaps the, the expansion of the freeway network in the yeah, US post-war, the building, of the, auto, the building of the autobahns and the, the motorways in the UK, the M1, you know, et cetera, et cetera. That's the last time when the car industry was 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 sort of hand in glove with legislation or or, or, or kind of you know um, planning for for countries and, and states and cities freeway networks. Now we are as an industry totally reliant on an ecosystem to work, and and of course it's in it's in our absolute interest to have that ecosystem work because more and more people will adopt electric vehicles. And you know my personal. Um, Peeve about the electric vehicle industries. We we are we have engineering vehicles that are carrying uh, are carrying too much battery capacity. If it was more recharging, fast recharging, you you could reduce the size of the battery, reduce the cost, uh, and so on and so forth. Maybe I'm an outlier here, but but we're we're carrying around this obsession with 300 miles of range and a very big battery, whereas actually our daily usage is probably 50 to 100 miles. And if we could more reliably have fast recharge, you could pull in. Ten minutes later, you're back on the road with a charge of full charge of battery that will give you 150, 200 miles. You can shrink the size of the battery pack a little bit, which would then improve weight and and and, and cost of the vehicle. So, um, or or you go ultimately inductive charging, right? Which is the end goal. Hey, so, we've got so to I mean, take another quick commercial break here. We'll be back in just a moment. But uh, shout out to our great sponsor, Bridgestone. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. 
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. We're back. We're talking all things automotive here. Gary, I know you always put a list of topics, you know, topical topics together. I wonder if we shouldn't get into some of them and get everybody's opinion on it. All right. So so one is is related to the discussion we're having right now. So Automotive News reported earlier this week that Ford before the vehicle is available, has cut the price of the Mustang Mach-E. And, you know, and this is, this is from their, their, the premium offering down to the entry-level offering. And, I mean, so, Simon, as a, as, a, as a marketing and brand guy, I mean, what do you see there? I mean, um, is this a good sign? Um, well, I, I, I don't know the details, so I'm going to be very careful where, you know, us PR guys are very careful about commenting on other people's businesses, right? Uh, you, you know that. Um, but look, there's, there's, there's the four P's of marketing and, and of a product and price and so on and so forth. And I don't think there's if, – if they've, if they've decided that that's the right thing to do for the customer and the product, then they should – you know, that's the, that's the right thing to do. I, I don't know the demand curve for the product. I don't know the, the reaction. So it's hard to, hard to say, are they adjusting to the market? Are they adjusting based – on demand or consumer acceptance. So I guess we need to see what the numbers say uh, on a month-to-month basis. All right, Joe, so you're not a your, PR guy. Your Joe, well, I, I, I asked at Ford because, you know, I'm that, and and basically what they said and, and in almost so many words was, look, Tesla dropped the price of the Model Y. So we need to be in, we need to be at the market. Um, and and it, it, I think the comparison that was it was put forward, which I made, made a lot of sense to me, was sort of like, you know, shopping for airline tickets. I mean, you don't want to be out there with a ticket to the same destination that's a hundred bucks more, right? And and I, and I, I, I took this as a sign. First of all, I mean, back to what I said about Elon Musk and, you know, he wants to keep dropping the price up to a point, keep dropping the price of his vehicles. I mean, he's clearly putting pressure on the, the new entries uh, to, to, to play his game. And I guess I view this as a statement by Ford. This is, look, we're not going to, you know, we're not, we're going to, we're not going to give up and we want people to buy this vehicle. We want to get on the, the electric vehicle shopping list. And if that takes dropping this, the, the sticker price, so to speak, um, so be it. And so, you know, we'll see. I mean, I, I, I wish I could have, I wish Ford had told me how many orders they have for the Mach-E. They did not. Uh, uh, they say they're going to have 50,000 the first year. So, you know, they're not quite in the same volume league yet as Tesla, but that would be a lot of electric vehicles for Ford. So I think I took it as a sign that they're serious about getting a, a, a pretty big footprint on that in that segment and getting on shopping list to, I think, the earlier discussion about brand. What do you think, John? Uh, I would agree with what Joe said. I wonder, too, if the pricing of the Volkswagen ID4 had an impact on it as well, not just the Tesla Model Y, but... I mean, that's why that's you cut point. the price. I mean, you know, you're you're out to take as much pricing as you can. The marketplace tells you what you can take. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, think, say, I mean, the, the other thing to look at is transaction price, which is, comes out in the, the registration data, right? Because you have MSRP, and then you have what the 
customer is actually going to pay for the car. I mean, that's what, you know, Andy, Andy Palmer taught me uh, to look at uh, transaction price, not MSRP, uh, which is a true test of what a, what a customer will pay for the product in the showroom. You know, so you, you're factoring in there your variable marketing and expense, uh, you know, incentives and so on and so forth. So that's that will be the interesting part to look at is how much these vehicles are transacting and look across the, uh, the, the industry. Yeah, and, and I mean, and one last thing I'd say, because I know Ford has talked about this and Tesla obviously does this. I mean, and we talked about it just a few minutes ago, sort of the revenue after the sale and life cycle revenue. Now, I, I mean, I'm not aware that Ford is trying, you know, sort of a Fisker approach to selling the Mach-E. And I mean, I don't believe they are, but I do think that they're going to try to sell things, you know, over the air and otherwise after the initial sale. And so at some point, um, you know, the, the MSRP, you know, might become even more meaningless than it is right now, um, you know, to sort of, you know, what's the price of entry to a typical, to a t- certain type of vehicle. So Simon, do you think that um, in, in the space of the, the Mach-E and the ID4 that Tesla has a premium because it's Tesla? Uh, yes, I think so. I think Tesla occupies. If you look at the, the, the price of, of Tesla products, I mean, you know, you what is a, a Model S or a Model X top out at 150? I mean, that's that's firmly into premium pricing territory, and a brand has to, so for a brand to carry that pricing, um, I think by definition is, is is premium. And so Tesla's now looking on a pricing structure. I think a lot more like a like a BMW, Mercedes than it is uh, like a. Uh, a Ford or, or, or a Chevrolet. Um, what's interesting is if you if you pull the price down, and, and you've seen this with BMW, Mercedes, and, and, and Audi, and so forth. You, you pull your price, you pull your segment down, pull the entry price point to your brand down. It can then start to erode your your, your ability to charge top end pricing uh, as well. So that's going to be an interesting uh, tune to uh, for them to play. Hey, so sticking with Ford thing. for the moment, uh, Joe, I'd love to ask you, what was your reaction to Ford dropping its CFO and CIO first actions that Jim Farley took as the new chief executive officer as Ford this morning? Yeah, no, that was, that was interesting. Uh, interesting. I mean, look, any new CEO wants to put a mark, uh, his or her mark on, on the company and bring into the senior positions people that they are comfortable with or that they think see the world the way they do. Um, and that's what I took this as, uh, that, you know, John Lawler, who's going to be the CFO now, um, is someone who's been working in Ford's mobility and autonomous vehicle area, you know, areas where, you know, and, and technology just broad. And that's obviously something that Jim Farley, or at least I think it's obvious something that Jim Farley cares a lot about and wants someone who understands that world, um, you know, how, in a senior level. And, and I honestly don't know whether the, the CFO, Tim Stone, I don't know whether, the, you know, this is a matter of he saw the handwriting on the wall and took another job or took the other job. I, don't, I just don't honestly don't know. But, you know, and then I noticed Ford also, um, you know, CIO, person in charge of data. Again, I mean, anyone who's talked with Jim Farley for 10, 10 minutes knows that he's all about data. That's what that's his thing. And he wants someone who under who understands in a pretty sophisticated way how a company like Ford can t- make use of data. And I'm also, frankly, the last thing I'll say is, I, I again, I don't know a lot about it, but I mean, I was not surprised that that Jim Farley would say, I want a dedicated C- chief marketing officer, not someone who's also doing another job. Um, because he he was sort of the chief marketing officer at one point at Ford himself, and I remember interviewing him, and he had you know the spreadsheets and all the cross tabs and this you know all this data, uh, and um, 
it just I'm not surprised that he wants someone who's going to drill down on that stuff in kind of the way that he would do uh, and come to him and say, hey, look, you know, this is what we ought to be doing to maximize revenue on this product or that product or the other product. That makes absolute sense. I just wonder, you know, Joy Filatico now from having marketing and Lincoln, now just having Lincoln, um, you know, what what her life is going to be like going forward. I'm sure it'll be easier by getting getting one uh, one job offer plate, but man, Lincoln's got to have a, a well, yeah. I was going to. The, the eyebrow it. raise was for easier. I don't know how easy <laughs> it's going to be to uh, make Lincoln successful in a in and in, you know the back to the conversation we've been having here uh, in a world where you've got brands coming, you know, you know, out of, out of you know, just springing up out of the ground, right. You know, mm-hmm. going after a premium customer with a, a high tech electrified offerings that, you know, of the sort that Lincoln currently doesn't have. I don't know, Simon, I defer to you on that. You know, this world better than I do. Well, it's very interesting. I mean, I, I find it fascinating. You had, um, I think had a design on from Cadillac. Uh, on the last show, right, and and I was listening to that and and so and so forth, and you know the 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 occupying that space of American luxury has always been something that the the, the big three have studied very hard, and and again they've all had their ups and downs, right? I mean, I uh, I can remember speaking to uh, Bo Botman over at Galpin, uh, you know, uh, one one of the world's largest Ford dealers, and Bo was very involved. He told me in the Lincoln SUV products, particularly from from a, a dealer input. And the reason why they look so good, and I think that the interiors are incredibly well executed on the on the on the link on the Lincoln SUVs, was was you know putting a lot of attention to that. And Bo was one of the, you know, the guys that was saying this is super important for customers. And transaction prices bear out, and the, and the and the truck is hot, as they say. Now, again, you know they've got the same challenges as every other brand, as you said, is is that there is a rash of new challenges coming in, which are pure play EV. You know there is no uh, there is no sort of well. Are they hybrid? Are they this? Are they that? They're just they're EV. They stand for EV, and that's all they stand for. And they've got one purpose in life, and that's going to be really hard for brands to make that transition. You know, I can remember when we when we looked at relaunching Lagonda at Aston Martin, and there was a big debate over how we should launch Lagonda. And there was one camp that said, "Let's do rebodied Aston Martins, bit of hybrid, bit of this V12." You know sort of a sort of rival to a Rolls-Royce or a Bentley. And then there was another camp which said, let's go scorched earth, radical, uh, space age, uh, EV, you know, let's take Rolls-Royce and Bentley you know, out. You know, they're they're, they're going to iterate technology, whereas Lagonda can go straight in. And that was what we, that, that was how we played it uh, when we launched the cars at, uh, at Geneva. So I hope they still deliver that plan one day because the cars look really cool. And there was, interestingly, there was no offering, no pure place EV offering in the luxury market. So isn't there's nothing above one hundred and fifty thousand dollars. You know, if you're a billionaire who wants to go EV but wants the luxury comfort of a Rolls Royce or a Bentley, there isn't an offering in that one fifty to three hundred or four hundred price segment. So there's a, a it's not a huge ocean, but there's definitely a blue ocean space there for companies. There. Is, isn't that the space though that Pininfarina is looking to? Um... To an extent, they've they've gone sports car route. So what, what Lagonda was was not sports cars. I mean, if you talk about brand portfolio, Aston Martin, Lagonda, Aston Martin, what Lagonda also enabled uh, Aston Martin to do was to, to, to remain focused on sports cars and inevitably an SUV, which is what everybody wants to, to, to drive. But Pininfarina, I, I think I remember from, from Geneva Motor Show a year or two back, they're a sport, they're, they've gone for sports cars, at least in their initial offering. Lagonda was always, and Lagonda was, was really touring cars. I mean, it actually won Le Mans. 
back in the 30s. Like on its fascinating history if you ever sort of research it. Um, uh, but but uh, in its latter years, in the 70s and so forth, it, it was these wedge sedans and it was sort of big luxury cars. So we wanted to give uh, Lagonda a, a new lease of life. And we figured, why not Why not go straight for EV and have it as a the elevator pitch? What's Lagonda? It's an all-electric luxury car. That's it. That's all you need to understand. Mm-hmm. So another interesting thing, I think, this week is, for whatever reason, Nicola came out with a lengthy press release which des- described what it is and what it is doing. And... Um, it, it, it has this statement that I've got to read because it sort of puts it in the context of how mm, nice they're being. I don't know if that's the right word here, but it says, Nicola is an, an original equipment manufacturer whose expertise lies in design, innovation, software, and engineering. We assemble, integrate, and commission our vehicles in collaboration with support from business partners and suppliers that bring decades of experience in manufacturing and that have invested billions of dollars in industrializing and scaling production. Nicola designs and engineers the ve- its vehicles and works with business partners and suppliers to manufacture a majority of the vehicle components. So now, now John, when we had Trevor Milton on the show, it, it seemed to me that he was basically saying, you know what, we're disruptive. We're not doing anything that these other guys are doing. I read that, and it sounds like you could, you could put in any OEM's name, and that's what they do. I think yeah. Gary. I think there's there, you're missing the sign on the front of the door, uh, Nicola. <laughs> I say Nicola by Nicola by the way. Anyway, whatever. Um, you're missing the sign on the front of the door under new management. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. asked me about Jim Farley. <laughs> you yeah. want to talk about somebody putting a stamp on something under new management? You know, yeah. Mr. Tr- Mr. Milton is not there anymore. So He's this gone. is yeah. Stephen Gursky. Oh, Steve Gursky and Mark Russell. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, I I was. I, mean, they, I, I had a short interview with them along with my colleague, Ben Clayman. I mean, and, and, and yeah, I mean, I'll just speak to this because I was involved in writing something about this, but I, I mean, I don't know if Simon, you want a shot at it too, but yeah, I mean, I th- actually, I mean, it kind of goes to the point that I think Simon, you made earlier about sort of the different approach. I mean, Nicola is basically saying, look, no, we, we're, we're not going to reinvent a lot of stuff uh, or even invent it. Uh, we're going to be more of an integrator and bring a design and a concept and certain other kinds of, of intellectual property. Um, but we're not going to try to claim that we are, you know, we have our own, you know, every single piece of hardware is our own. Um, and there's two things quickly that, that were pointed out. One, and, and the reason why they did this, of course, is their stock price was in the tank. Uh, because of a short seller attack. And I'm looking, I happen to be looking at it right now on my screen. It's up 16% today, and it was up almost that much or about that much yesterday. So this kind of worked. So basically saying, look, no, we actually have a pragmatic approach to, you know, creating a, a brand of trucks and, and a pickup truck, leveraging existing investments made by players whose names you know. And we're also going to try to build a recurring revenue network for service and refueling. That's our plan, and we're going to do it. Um, I can't remember exact words that Mr. Russell used, but it was one. I think one step at a time. He used the, that phrase a couple of times. Not disruptive, not magic. One step at a time, and that I don't know. Like I said, I'm looking at the stick, the ticker right now, and it's 16 percent up just today. So that's what it seems like. I don't know, Simon, if you've been watching that, but yeah, um, yeah. I, I I think it's probably safe to say this is this industry is the gift that keeps on giving. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> as far as I want to go on that. We're a very competitive business and everyone comes with fresh ideas. And uh, you know, that's, that's, a, that's a good thing for the consumer. What's your take, John? Well, you know, I, I was going to say uh, essentially what Joe just said there. You know, when we had Trevor on the show, we heard Trevor's version of how everything was going. And with the statement that you just read, you know, is pure Stephen Gursky. Everybody trying to smooth down the feathers, get the investors comfortable. They're still negotiating a deal with General Motors here. I believe that deal probably will go through. You know, but remember, when GM signed the deal, it was getting a stock package worth $2 billion. It dropped down to a billion. I'm sure they called up Steve and went, hey, back to the negotiating table. And that's what they're going through right now. My guess is uh, people are talking. And Joe, you know, you pointed out that the stock is up. They're expecting, I guess, that a deal is going to go through. Yeah, the but- investors definitely seem to be be- 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 not seem to believe. It's I mean, the company said, and the investors are buying into the idea that yeah, they're gonna they're gonna get the partners that they need. GM is gonna get landed. The energy partners that they've been talking about for the hydrogen refueling are gonna get landed. I mean, I'm you know obviously I don't know for sure, but the investor community in the last two days seems to be con- more confident that that's actually gonna happen. So we'll see. Yeah, and and look, and Gary, you, you know, I you know I've said this all along. The the real innovation with Nikola and Trevor Milton was not the technology. His partners had the technology. It was Hanwha and Iveco and Bosch that had the technology. I believe that the the new idea that Trevor was bringing to the party, so to speak, was a vertically integrated approach to providing subscription services for trucking fleets, where you pay by the mile and it includes everything, including the fuel. All you got to do is stick a driver in it and deliver the beer or whatever you're hauling. So I, I still think that that business plan makes a lot of sense, particularly if you do go hydrogen, of generating it on site at the fueling station and not trying to ship it all around the country, which would really help lower the cost. That is by by doing it on site. I, I believe that his partners have stuck with him or stuck with Nikola, at least, because they see that as a very viable business plan. So it was mentioned at the the start of the show about sticking a shovel in the ground in the desert and saying we've got a factory and uh, part of the release is they're, they're pointing out that uh, they plan to have construction fully completed in mid 2023 and their plant in Coolidge, Arizona to begin building things. So Joe, what, what was, what, what is that all about? Yeah, that's the part I don't know as much about. Um, I mean, yes, they say they're going to have a plant in Coolidge, Arizona. Um, I, I'm not quite sure why Coolidge, Arizona is the place to have a, a truck plant. Um, I mean, I mean, I'm just it's not flat. sure why. It's yeah, flat, it's flat, flat, I guess. The land is probably cheap. Um, you know, anyhow, the, I, I mean, that's what they say. I, I have, you know, no basis on which to dispute it. I mean, I don't know where the supply chain is uh, relative to that place, but, you know, I, like I said, maybe it all pencils out. Um, and uh, yeah, I, that part I can't enlighten you too much on. So another thing that really caught my eye this week, and, and maybe we'll, well, it'll be a sour note, but anyway, um, <laughs> that, you know, we, we were talking earlier about suppliers doing more for, for OEMs and, and bringing more capabilities in. And I mean, one of, one of the premier tier one suppliers in the world Continental 
announced that they're likely to be getting rid of three thirty thousand employees. I mean, a huge, huge chunk of people. And yet, you know, I, I read what others write, and it seems that I, I thought that the auto industry was back. I thought things were were swell. I thought that uh, um, it was it was all going back to the way it was. And apparently, Continental doesn't think that's going to happen until the mid uh, mid decade. Um, does anybody have a, a, an opinion on this? Well, I'll kick it off. Silence, like, silence, silence. No, no, go no, ahead, look, John. There, I, have, I do have opinions, but I'll, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Number one is, you know, there's the COVID impact. And uh, that has wiped out the, the travel industry. It's wiped out the, the tourism industry. That's going to take years to recover. So volumes are going to be down globally, and Continental is a global player. But the bigger thing is they're a big player in traditional internal combustion engines, and yeah, there is zero growth in that, guys. It's all going to be electric. That is, the growth is going to be in electric. And this is a, a, a bigger discussion in Europe, especially Germany, than it is in the United States or in Asia. That What do we do? We've got billions and tens of thousands of people, if not hundreds of thousands, that have got jobs making pistons and piston rings and spark plugs and injectors and all this other stuff. And uh, nobody wants to stay in that game right now. They want to be in the growth industry because that's what the market is rewarding. And I, I think that is the major part of what these cuts are all about. Yeah, I know. I second that. I, and I also smell a little bit of let no crisis go to waste here. I mean, which you've seen some at some other companies. I mean, you're absolutely right, John. I mean, I, the, especially in Europe, especially in Germany, the internal combustion, you know, sunset has begun. And whether or not that's true or whether the customer is in on that piece of information, we'll find out soon enough. But from a capital deployment point of view, you know, the sunset, the sunset is, is well underway. And and you're right. I mean, 30,000 people um, it's a, it's a whole lot of people, but I do suspect that some of this is just the management saying, no time is better than now to do painful, unpleasant things and get ourselves in, in the right shape for what comes next. Uh, that's my suspicion on that one. Anything, Simon? No, well, I mean, look, I, just up the road in Disneyland, um, 28,000 people. Uh, you yeah. know, so it's... it's 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 gut wrenching, isn't it? I mean, and, and businesses have to to do what they need to do to survive, and you know that's based on current conditions and 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 the forecast. And I think there's a there's a lot of factors that are uh, are at play here. Um, there is outright demand, and then there's within the demand that it does exist. Is that going to be more EV demand versus uh, ice demand? And I think inevitably, as as John said, you know, it's the shift is going to be towards uh, car companies buying more uh, electric. Um, uh, you know, batteries, motors, inverters, things that make up electric cars as opposed to internal combustion cars. And and those suppliers with very long-term planning horizons, of which Conti and others, are, you know, they're, they're such big, you know, they're bigger than automakers in many senses. Um, they've got to make big long-term decisions, capacity decisions, and so inevitably, um, you know, th- there's going to be some pain along the way if they see a shift combined with, a, with an economic downturn. The other thing, Gary, I mean, to your point about the auto industry being back, I mean, you know, U.S. automakers, or at least most of them, uh, are reporting their Q3 third quarter sales today as we speak. Uh, General Motors was saying that they expected the uh, annualized sales pace for the third quarter to be about 15.9 million, 
which you know is not great relative to 2018 or 2019, but it's it's unbelievable compared to what we would have thought six months ago. If you'd have asked what would the SAR be for the third quarter of this year, or th- certainly three four months ago, so you know yeah, it's back kinda. But Simon, you know the point you made about Disney and the big layoffs. I mean, I don't know. I but I just am not. I'm not particularly confident about the strength of the labor market over the next quarter because companies do have a way of looking at their year-end accounts and saying, uh-oh, you know, and the next, you know, I don't know. I mean, you you predict the next six to 12 months of economic activity. Uh, so I just, I do think that there's some risk um, that the unemployment picture is going to look worse in the next several months than it does even right now. Um, just because you're going to have these big headline, big companies doing big layoffs. I just wonder if that's going to be a thing. So, you know, we'll see. Yeah, and the shame, the shame of it is for our industry is there's so many great cars coming out, right? I mean, really across all the all categories. I mean, all the investment that has gone on in the last few years, these cars are now coming to right. market. The and, boom and cars, the boom cars are coming, yeah. Right, right, right. I mean, you know, there's some really great, I mean, yeah, you were just talking before the show about the car of the year, you know, the North American car of the year and the selection. I mean, there's a very high bar, right? There's some really great cars out there. Um, and um, and that's, they're coming into a market that's inevitably smaller than they were planning for. And I wonder if if Ford sees this being a problem and saying, you know what? For the, for the Maki, which will be coming out toward the end of the year when things are likely not to be so good. Um, Cox Automotive uh, uh, Chief Economist uh, Jonathan Smoke this this past week was saying, um, you know, he, he thinks the fourth quarter is just got a whole lot of headwinds and, you know, cautioned against taking the September numbers and saying, whoo, you know, it's it's things things are looking great. And um you know, maybe that's what a lot of companies are now having to face that, you know, they, they put all of this investment in terms of electrification or automation or what have you. And then suddenly they're going, holy gosh, there's there's the, the market is, is beginning to uh, to shrink again. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I mean, again, I'm still trying to understand this and I, I'm not going to pretend that I fully do. But the motivations around, you know, I call them legacy companies. I should stop doing that. But anyway, a traditional company like Ford uh, wanting to sell. EVs. Um, there's a lot of reasons they want to do that. And, and one of them, which would also explain a price cut, even if you didn't think that, if, even if you thought, look, affluent customers are going to buy this vehicle and they're going to be fine, even if you thought that, is that you've got to make darn sure that you sell these EVs so that you can have the credits to sell your F-150s and your F-250s. And, um, you know, why is Volkswagen being so aggressive or seemingly aggressive with the ID4? Same thing, right? They need to get those things on the ground so that they can sell, uh, you know, atlases, um, you know, their large SUV. Um, so I think there's going to, I mean, there's a lot for us to learn about sort of the economic decisions around EV pricing by the traditional automakers. You know, it, look, it's going to be hard to predict where anything is going. You know, Simon, you mentioned Disney getting ready to lay off 28,000 people. The airlines are on the verge right now of all, uh, announcing major layoffs. It's all going to depend on the spending bill that comes out of Congress. You know, remember, uh, what was it, five months ago or something, we got a $3 trillion tranche that really has kept the economy going all this time. Now that money is running out, and there's a big argument in Washington, which can't seemingly get anything together, of, you know, whether you have another big spending bill or a skinny bill, as they call it. 
if there's another big build, I think we're good to go. If it's a skinny one, yowza. Uh, I think we're going to come up short with a lot of money and things may not look so good by the end of the year. That's my my opinion. I'm not trying to make a political statement. All I'm trying to say is this this damn pandemic has ripped and torn a gigantic hole in the economy. And unless you plug the gap, uh, it, it could be pretty ugly. All right. So I want to end by asking Simon, what is your favorite car? You've probably had access to more cars than the three of us, and we have access to lots of cars. So what is it? So, uh, first car I launched as a, as a PR guy was the Escort Cosworth. That was, Ooh, that was incredible. Good car. Uh, uh, yeah, that was that was yeah the T twenty five small turbo Escort Cosworth. That was that was really something pretty special. You always remember your first company car, which was a Bondeo V six. Um, which you remember that that V six motor, the Juratec motor. Um, first first Jag I had, which was an XKR, which was pretty special. You know, I was a uh, what was I uh, thirty years old and I was in a, in a Jaguar company car. That was that was, that was pretty cool. Uh, <laughs> Austin Powers. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> So, um, actually, that's another story with Jason Vines about Austin Powers 3 and the Jaguar, anyway. We'll, we'll say that for another show. Um, and then the book. Yeah, exactly. Working on the Nissan GTR, uh, which was a project that, that Mr. Gohan was very personally involved in. We met every month for about three years, every month for three years, to work on the launch of, of the, uh, the R35 GTR, which debuted in 2007 at the Tokyo Motor Show. So that was pretty cool. Um, and then, of course... Um, I had a Tesla Model S, which was great. That was really cool. My first electric car. Sorry, I know you asked for one, but uh, <laughs> can't, we can't stop at one, can we? Um, and then um, I bought an Aston Martin. So I've got a 91, 1991 Virage uh, 6.3 Work Special, which is uh, pretty fun. So that's uh, sitting back in, in the UK. Um, so that's, that's sort of a bit of a toy. Um, and then, you know, when I left FCA, actually, I decided to get a Alfa Romeo Giulia. And I know you guys have all driven that. And it was the European car of year. It's an outstanding, standing car. Really, really a lot of fun. So um, there are lots of cars that stand out. Um, so, uh, and then my first Aston Martin um, sort of company car. That was also pretty cool. So, Simon, you'll be pleased to hear. I just did an interview this week with Bob Roderdoff, who runs uh, Alpha Operations in North America. Uh, he says you're going to be stunned. We're going to be stunned when... The, the next J.D. Power surveys come out, especially with IQS. He claims they're going to end up with best-in-class residuals. They'll be announcing that fairly soon. And I just looked at the FCA numbers uh, today, and alpha sales in the U.S. were up 17% over a year ago. Now, admittedly, the numbers are, are small, but nonetheless, I, I think it's very possible that Alpha's turning the corner here. It's a great car. I mean, if you want a compact sports sedan and it's not like everything else out there, uh, the Julia's an absolute sweetheart. I love it. I got the, the base rear wheel drive, not the quadrifolio, just the base rear wheel drive with a couple of extras. And it's, it's, it's great. Really, really fun car. I went out driving with some buddies of mine and they all have uh, Porsche GT2s. Um, so big, uh, heavy machine, you know, big kind of high performance machines. And I think I had more fun than they did on the uh, you know, the Los Angeles uh, Crest Highway and that sort of stuff. We went out driving a couple of weeks ago. So Alpha's a great car. Really fun. All right, John. So I've got to ask, you looked at the numbers and, and I've got them here, but I won't look at them. Is it Stelvio that's selling a lot of vehicles for Alpha or is it Julia? 
Because um, it's not the four C. You, know, you know what? <laughs> uh, if I remember right, they're almost even Steven. Really? So it, it's not like a, a big split heavy SUV and small sedan. I, I want to say they're they're very close to each other in sales. But I'm going yeah. off the top of my head. I don't have the numbers in front of me. Mm-hmm. Well, all right, we all so know what yeah, okay. we all know what's going to drive the bus at FCA. It's the Grand Wagoneer. Get yours today. <laughs> <laughs> that's right, Joe. That's, well, hey, Gary, thank you for it. ending the show on a, on a positive note there. That's really good. And, Simon, thanks so much for coming back on. It, it, it's such a pleasure talking with you, and we, we can go anywhere with the discussion. It was a lot of fun. Absolutely. Thank you, guys. Really enjoyed it. Joe, always great having you on the show, too. Thanks. Yeah, good thanks, fun. Joe. Simon, good yeah. to see you. And, and Gary, you and I will just keep on doing this. Okay. Okay. So long, folks. Auto Line After Hours is brought to you by Bridgestone Tires, your journey, our passion. And by Borg Warner, propulsion solutions that support a clean, energy efficient world. Visit our website, autoline.tv, where you can watch us live Thursday afternoons. Get your daily fix with AutoLine Daily and in-depth analysis and interviews with AutoLine This Week. There's all that and much more at AutoLine.tv. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.